Open, outspoken. It's ophthalmology off the grid. An honest look at controversial topics in the field. I'm Gary Wirtz. Welcome to another episode of Ophthalmology Off the Grid's Survive and Thrive series. Today, our host, Dr. Gary Wartz, is joined by Dr. Sheree Fathy and David Felstead. They talk about the importance of building a brand as a young ophthalmologist and why residency is the perfect time to start. Coming up on Off the Grid. Survive and Thrive is an independent program produced by Bryn Mawr Communications and supported by advertising from Johnson & Johnson Vision. Welcome to another special edition of Ophthalmology Off the Grid. This is the Survive and Thrive version. Survive and Thrive has been a really fun project to work on with some of my uh, younger colleagues. We've got Sharif Fathy and David Belstead. Uh, both are in training, uh, um, in different years of training, but they're in uh, ophthalmology residency right now. You've met them on previous episodes. Um, today, we're going to be talking about building your brand. Um, when you're a resident, that may be the last thing that you're trying to do uh, because you're trying to survive. I think this probably fits more on the thrive side of things, um, but uh, we'll, we'll get into that in a little bit. So, Sheree and David, uh, let's start with you, Sheree. How, how are you doing? How are you managing um, sort of the uh, aftermath of the COVID crisis and how are things where you're at right now? Let's just start there. Yeah. Hey, thanks again for having me on. I'm always appreciative and always have fun listening to the podcasts and being a part of it. Um, things in Philadelphia are getting back to normal, which is so awesome to say. Finally, um, we are able to see patients both um, urgent and non-urgent now. We are able to restart elective procedures restaurants are opening up again. <laughs> so um, it's been really exciting to get things uh, going back to normal. And at least for someone heading into their third year, it's very nice to see that we might be able to get some sense of normalcy back when it comes to operating, which is kind of like the golden promised year. So I'm excited for that. That's right. Uh, David, how are things in, uh, in Georgia? Yeah. So I mean, as you guys know, Georgia opened up kind of first out of the country. And um, although we got a lot of flack for it, um, you know, on our end, we didn't really see a whole big spike in cases. Um, we got back into operating. And um, although I felt pretty rusty, um, it felt like I was riding a bike too, and um, got back into things uh, in the OR. Um, we're seeing, you know, regular clinic patients now. We're not at full capacity or full volume. Um, we still have patients that are worried about coming in, and I think that will slowly get back to reality and to normalcy. Uh, my wife and I did go bike to a restaurant and eat, eat outdoors. That was kind of nice. Um, so it's fun to start doing some of that stuff again. Um, here in Lexington, things are starting to get back to normal as well, so that's good. Um, we are seeing patients um, and doing surgery. We're we're probably getting close to half capacity, maybe inching towards uh, two-thirds capacity. We, we get both some patients who are really, really itching to come in. It really seems like LASIK patients and younger folks are, are actually very bullish on coming in, and it's the older patients that you'd expect who are maybe feeling a little bit um, uh, sort of gun-shy at this point still. But it is exciting. My wife and I are going out to dinner tonight. Um, for the second time, it'll be the second time going to a restaurant. So uh, we're eating on a patio again. I think it's, I've never been more excited to go eat on a patio. So uh, we're all getting back to uh, a new, a sort of a new normal. Um, so we're going to talk today about building a brand. And as I mentioned in the intro, 
Um, that's something when I was a resident, I wasn't even thinking about. I was just thinking about trying to stay awake during grand rounds and forcing conference, um, getting my patients seen, not breaking the, the capsule when I was doing cataract surgery, and just getting out of residency alive. Um, Shree, when you think about building your brand, is that on your mind right now as a resident? Is it something that is sort of in the ether that is nebulous and you're not really sure what that means or how it could impact you? How does the topic hit you just thinking about it? I definitely say in the first few months of my residency, it was a little bit on the back burner. Um, like you said, I'm just trying to get my feet wet and, and learn as much about ophthalmology as I can and get comfortable. But there became a time where it was so nice to have that virtual community that you can find on um, social media and like Twitter platform or Instagram, um, where you find people who have been in your shoes or um, are going to be in your shoes and to get that community again, where you can share ideas or just get inspired by people that I found myself going back um, to those platforms and as a result, sort of trying to build my own voice within them. Um, but it's definitely in the beginning, it's just sort of like you said, it's like a sink or swim, but at some point it's really nice to have that uh, community open up again, because it reminds you of, of why you're doing what you do uh, beyond your little fishbowl. Yeah, I do think social media is a wonderful platform. I, you know, really wasn't around when I was a resident uh, in, in, you know, for the most part, um, but it is interesting how residents can interact with each other. They can interact with medical students, interact with attendings or other you know, people who've been out there for a while, like myself, it's, it's kind of cool that we get to have conversations that maybe we couldn't otherwise. Uh, David, you're, you're kind of coming into the latter stages of, of residency. You're about to make that switch uh, into, you know, um, the next phase of your career. What does the term building your personal brand, how does that strike you? Is that something you've been giving any thought to? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I thought a lot about this as we got ready for the podcast today. And, um, you know, one thing that came to my mind is that we tend to rebirth ourselves frequently throughout um, the steps we take in our training, you know, both as an undergrad, as a med school student, um, as we get into residency, even different phases of residency. Um, I basically built my brand through Instagram. And I didn't just sit down one day and say, I'm, I'm going to build my brand. Um, I just did it organically. I did it because I thought it was fun. Um, I started posting pictures of what I did in the operating room, um, what I was doing at home with my kids, how I studied, um, you know, project I was working on around the house, things I was tinkering with. Um, and so for me, that's my brand. That's, that's who I am. Um, you know, mine's more of a medical lifestyle. And um, I think the people who grow their brands the most, people I, you know, I look up to like Dagny Zoo, um, they do it organically and they have a knack for it too. Um, they know how to network and they use their network to their um, strengths. So, um, you know, I had a medical student reach out to me uh, who just graduated and is pursuing ophthalmology matched. Um, and he wanted to know, you know, how do I grow my presence on social media? And he seemed pretty concerned about it. Um, and, you know, I thought, you know, I don't want to overemphasize the um, need to do that because I think as the baby boomers age and we have an increased need for, for ophthalmology, um, I'm not quite sure. I guess the question is, you know, how much does personal brand and growing your personal brand translate into patient volumes and, you know, your, your abilities out in the field? And I don't know that, the answer to that question, but it is something I keep thinking about. Um, That's really interesting. Um, I don't know if you all have heard of Naval Radicanth, but he's got a podcast that I love. It's called How to Get Rich Without Getting Lucky. And it's not really about making money. It's really about how to um, 
operate in, in, a, in the world as an entrepreneur, as a business person, as someone who's trying to make their way. And uh, it's sort of like if you never had any business training, it's like a three and a half hour podcast that gives you all the basics that you really need to learn, to know about life and entrepreneurship and business. And so I'd highly recommend it uh, for anyone who's, who's interested in learning more about business. Cause we just in medical school and, or, or, you know, otherwise, unless you seek it out, you just don't get that training. And so there's a lot of truths in those, in that podcast that I just really love. Um, but one of the things that he was talking about, and I don't mean to downplay this, but he says one of his sort of pithy remarks is um, he talks about people who either play the money game or the status game. And the status game is kind of like a um, zero sum game where, you know, if someone wants to go from the fifth most popular ophthalmologist to the fourth most popular ophthalmologist, the fourth person has to vacate that spot, right? It's not like everybody can just keep becoming more and more popular. It's this sort of, uh, you know, king of the hill kind of, kind of game. Whereas the prosperity game is something where we can all, um, it's sort of like the rising tide floats all boats. You know, you can, you doing more cataract surgery unless you, you know, are in my network or my area, it's not really taking away from me. So I do think that in some ways um, we, we sort of play a status game and, and, and don't really realize that, um, you know, we can do that organically, which I think is probably the best way to do it. I mean, some people are really gifted at it, like Dagny. I think Blake Williamson, who is a super good friend of mine and co-host of, of Off the Grid, Blake has just, that's just Blake. I mean, you meet Blake and you, if you've seen him online, you've seen him in person, same thing. It's the same Blake. There's, there's no branding. That's just him. Like that's just, that's just how he is, which is really, I think David, same way with you, you know, you're just sort of giving a glimpse into your authentic self. Um, and I think that's probably um, the only way it works because if you're building it on something that's not authentic, people eventually figure that out. Um, Sheree, how does that hit you? What do you think about that? I mean, um, in terms of trying to build a consistent brand, I think you want to build it on who you are. A hundred percent. I think one of the, one of my initial hesitations when I was deciding whether I make a profile public or not was this sense of, um, would I then be seen as someone who was, you know, trying too hard or trying to just have a profile for the sake of having one, um, which is quite possibly the antithesis of, of who I am. And so when I went to make, you know, my Twitter profile less about communicating with just my friends, or did, I just recently started a, a professional Instagram profile, um, I really tried to make it as true to myself as possible. And I'm still trying to figure that out. In fact, I'm still trying to figure out exactly what my voice is, especially when it comes to the Instagram profile is there. You know, I don't know that I'm a person where I can dole out a lot of advice just yet in my career. Um, so I don't, necessarily feel the pull to post things like oh this is this was my day here's what I learned or something um so I'm trying to more share my hobbies and my interests and to make a community based off of that um but definitely I I want my profiles to be something where if you met me in person and you had seen my twitter or my instagram you'd recognize that you know I love sharing results of new studies as much as I love sharing silly cat videos yeah I am who I am both on uh, online and, and and not um and a lot of that is important when you're building your brand trying to figure out what your key interests are and and like and like you had mentioned just making sure that it's really um something that is comes naturally to you that is truly of interest to you 
Yeah. David, where do you draw the line um, with what you share? Because that's, that's a, you know, I struggle with that. I mean, in 2016, um, during the election, I quit Facebook. I mean, I had been on Facebook for eight years. It really was probably one of my most beloved activities. I mean, just to, I mean, that's embarrassing to admit, but I love Facebook. I felt like I connected with people from, you know, lots of different stages in my life. Um, you know, back from elementary school all, all the way through training and, you know, it was nice to, you know, connect with people. But I just, I, I, at some point I felt overexposed. I felt like, you know, patients can possibly view this. Um, if they're a friend of someone who's a friend of mine, they're going to be able to look at my profile. Um, what it, you know, I actually had some criticism from some optometrists because I posted something like, I think I said something on the, along the lines of, you know, 20 of the past 34 hours I've been operating or something like that. Cause I just had two marathon surgery days, basically went home and slept and came back and just, you know, operated, you know, just to kind of finish up the year. And the comment, which was probably, you know, a helpful comment was, you know, if, if someone had a bad outcome, you know, and that, that thing you posted on, on Facebook's, you know, it sort of says you were fatigued and, you know, maybe you should not have been operating almost like a, a pilot needs a certain amount of time of rest. Um, you know, so I felt like I was a little bit under the microscope of, you know, if I post the wrong thing and someone is either offended by it, doesn't get the joke, thinks that I should be doing something else when I'm doing whatever I am doing. I don't know. Do you guys, I mean, David, do you feel that pressure and of like, should I post this or should I keep this private? Yeah. So I think, um, I've thought about that a lot. Um, there are definitely things you need to stay away from. Number one is HIPAA, HIPAA compliance. Yeah. You know, that, that's a major minefield in social media. And if you post anything, um, patient related without any consent, um, you know, any patient identifiers, you're really putting yourself and your license and your career at risk. Um, so that's number one. Um, number two, I think a lot about my children, um, you know, how does their future, how's it going to be impacted by what I share about them now? Um, so I'm really careful, you know, in that regard. Um, and then three, you know, when I post anything, you know, it's, it's your digital footprint. I think you mentioned that last podcast with us. And I thought that was just really great word of wisdom. Um, anything you post online now is just permanent on the record. And um, whether you like it or not, it's cached away somewhere on some hard drive. Um, and so, you know, you just have to be so thoughtful about what you're posting, the context of your posting, who's in it, and what you're saying. Um, I actually quit Instagram right as I started my third year um, because I was going on the job hunt and the, the fellowship trail, and I didn't want anyone to you know, jump to any conclusions about what I was doing. I just wanted to make my own decisions and um, not have them be swayed or influenced by what people were looking at my Instagram profile about. Um, and then when COVID hit, I kind of just jumped back into it. Yeah. My daughter is a freshman, just finished her freshman year at Furman University. Uh, my son is going through, you know, the, the college hunt right now. He's a, a rising senior and he is not involved in social media at all, which, you know, that's fantastic. It's fine. But one, one of the things that college admissions, the first thing they do is they pull up your Instagram, your Snapchat, your Facebook and all your social media. And they, they look to see and get sort of a sense of what kind of a person you are. So, you know, we're living in an age when our grandchildren will be able to Google us. 
you know, that's weird. And it won't be Google. It'll be like, you know, whatever the, the, the search engine is at that time. Maybe it will be Google. I don't know. Um, but switching gears from social media, because I think, you know, we could talk about social media a lot. I'm not a, an expert. Uh, you can follow me if you want. My, my Twitter handle is at cataractmd. I mean, I kind of do, I try to stay in a couple of lanes. One lane is obviously cataract and ophthalmology related things with residents and, and sort of mentorship um, and other like interesting inventions in ophthalmology. The second thing is Rex Chapman videos. Uh, Rex Chapman was a UK basketball star and NBA star and he posts the funniest videos. So I love Rex Chapman videos and basically cat videos. That's pretty much it. So um, if you are a fan of any of those three things, I think you'll find some value in, in what I do. Otherwise, it's total garbage. Um, so let's talk a little bit about, um, really building your brand, um, with industry. Um, I'm sure you all have had, um, you, you've had an interesting window to observe ophthalmology. You see the meetings and I'm sure you see the magazines that come on a monthly basis, the articles, the journals, all these things, webinars, and you see what we call key opinion leaders. And they sort of have these curated brands. Um, when I say Warren Hill, you know, what do you think of? You know, probably IOL calculations. You know, when you think of Ike Ahmed, you know, Shuri, probably glaucoma, right? Um, Dr. Glaucom Flecken, I think of someone who's hilarious. Um, Bill Trattler, cross-linking and keratoconus. Now, all of these people do more than the thing I just said. You know, but I, I, it's interesting that they've all sort of found a lane where it's kind of, it's mentally very easy for me when I think of, okay, who's like the top couple of glaucoma people? Well, Ike, Malik Kahook, Nathan Radcliffe, boom. You know, it's like easy to think of. So, you know, if I heard, you know, it's not that Nathan Radcliffe couldn't give me a good lecture on dry eye. Of course he could, but that's kind of not his brand. His thing is talking about, you know, glaucoma, you know, Priya Gupta could give me an awesome lecture. I'm sure about MIGS or other things, but you know, I, I know her more for refractive cataract surgery and, and dry eye. So what do you think about, uh, and Sheree, I'll start with you also. When, when you are done, do you feel like consulting with industry will be something that you'll be interested in? And what topics do you think you'll be most interested in if the answer to that question is yes? I, it's definitely something that I've, I've always been interested in, um, just from the sense that you can learn so much in these conversations and meetings with the consulting companies and the people who work with them. Um, I definitely want it to be something that I am, have a niche in, I guess. And as a result, there's a natural complement towards um, how I could benefit consulting company um, and how I could help patients with it. I am at this point planning on a cornea fellowship anterior segment practice. So it would probably some, be something within that lane. Um, as I get more into surgery, I could probably tell you more about where I, where I could be particularly interested in consulting. Um, at this point, I'm, I'm really open to just seeing, you know, what I love most in surgery, how I can most help patients. Um, and then hopefully if there's a nice relationship that complements each other that I'd be able to get involved. Yeah. You know, when I got out of residency, I thought I really want to be someone who, whose name is out there. 
what's weird about that is I didn't know, I don't know why. I didn't really process like, why do I want to do this? My partner gives me a lot of flack for this. He's like, just do surgery. You know, you're going to be, you know, you don't need to be running around doing these chicken dinner talks. You don't need to be extending yourself and talking about, you know, BS that no one cares about. Like just stay home, do surgery, live a good life. Don't worry about it. It's all BS. And I thought about it and I was like, you know, that's probably true. But honestly, like I was the kid who always wanted to be the lead in the play, right? I love the sound of my own voice. It's just, it's sad. It's true though. I can't get, I mean, I can't, I mean, it's just who I am. All right. I like talking about stuff. I like thinking about things. I like putting myself out there. So for me, part of my, my authentic brand is, I just like talking about stuff. I like sharing ideas. I like having conversations. I like spitballing. You know, I don't love email, but if you wanted to like pick up the phone and call me, I would talk to you because that's just kind of how I am. So for me, consulting and doing these like talks and doing this stuff, like that's just kind of fun for me. And if it, you know, you get paid a little bit or you get a little bit of, you know, credit, it always feels good for someone to tell you you did a nice job. So I think there's sort of like, there's certain personalities that are kind of drawn towards doing these things. And it, for whatever reason, I, you know, I guess I'm in that camp. So David, is that something that interests you like going forward? And, and you, like Cherie said, and she said very astutely, I don't want to minimize this. You have to get the training and expertise, right? You can't start with, I'm going to start, you know, moving my mouth and say what everyone said, you know, wants me to say. You have to have the expertise and the credibility to back that up. And that's kind of hard when you're just getting out there and you're trying to, to, you know, establish yourself as a credible ophthalmologist, let alone, you know, sort of a world expert. But is that something that you're interested in pursuing um, moving forward? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I would say absolutely. Um, you know, I got into ophthalmology um, from a mentor in Salt Lake City who, you know, is very well known in the field. And um, I got interested in the technology the most. I was hooked on that. Um, so for me, you know, industry is just fun because it's always at the leading edge of, you know, what's the new, you know, the neatest new thing. And I would consider myself an early adopter, um, you know, kind of the pioneer from that standpoint, trying things out. Um, and the question actually I wanted to ask you, Gary, is do you need a fellowship in order to become, uh, you know, something of that nature to consult and to be a speaker for? Um, obviously, I'm coming out not fellowship trained and, um, you know, I'm not at a point where I can you know, offer medical expertise or consulting in that standpoint. I'm just looking to get started and get my feet wet in the operating room, um, you know, seeing patients. But yeah, what are your thoughts on on that? Well, how much time do you have? Because I could, <laughs> I could talk about this for quite a while. Um, I will say this. Among the people who I would say that I really look up to, respect, go to for advice, um, the people who I think are really at the top of their game, who I would consider, you know, um, you know, people I really look up to, I don't know many of them who haven't done a fellowship. Now, I don't know if that is like which is came first, chicken or the egg, if it's just a selection bias that people who are really high performers tend to overachieve and overachievers tend to get more training. And if they hadn't done a fellowship, maybe they would be just equally fantastic ophthalmologists. I don't know. Um, it just so happens though that like 99% of them have done a fellowship and they almost all did a fellowship with Dick Lindstrom. 
So, you know, <laughs> if you can do a good fellowship, I think there's a lot of benefits, not only the extra training, but there, you, you gain credibility by proxy by the people who will speak up for you. And I think, I think that is very important when you are at a, a young, vulnerable stage in your career, when someone like Dan Dury or Dick Lindstrom can make a phone call and say, hey, you know, I had this, this resident, you know, I had George wearing the fourth as a resident. He was fantastic. He's got great hands and he's gonna, you know, you're gonna, he'll, you know, he'll be a fantastic addition to anywhere he goes. Or again, Priya, you know, she did the fellowship with, with Dick Lindstrom. I mean, I can kind of go on and on. So I think that there is a bit of a, a club or a fraternity of sorts that um, for better or worse, you know, you become a part of. And, you know, people kind of like to take care of the people who are in that club. Um, I don't fault anyone for that. It's just the way networking works. I did not do a fellowship. I think you guys know that. I mean, I kind of did a clinical fellowship with my partner, um, Lance Ferguson. He, he trained me in, in LASIK and refractive surgery. So we kind of did a, a mentorship fel you know, fellowship on the job training. But it was not a traditional fellowship. So, you know, I don't really have that in my back pocket. Um, for whatever reason, I've always just gone about things the hardest way possible. Um, you know, I, you know, if I had to do it all over again, I would probably do a fellowship and try and get a normal job. But I decided to start a practice, you know, right out of residency with no fellowship and fall flat on my face and get a lot of experience. But, you know, we learn so much by our experience and our failures and realizing that there's a lot we don't know in this world. And if you're willing to accept the failures and you're willing to listen and learn from your experiences, I don't know that there's one path forward that will inform you. I think the faster and harder you fail, if you can grow from that, you will become successful more quickly. So I, I think a fellowship is sort of like an easy button. You know, you're going to get some benefits. You're going to develop some skills. You're going to get some credibility if you do a good job. Uh, but by no means is it the only way um, to move forward. And so I think every person is just going to have to, you know, answer that for themselves. Um, you know, looking back on it and just to be very honest, I had two kids and just so much debt. I literally just could not have afforded financially to, to survive another year on a resident salary. So it really just wasn't a financial option for me. Um, and you know, I say that with all sincerity, I just, I couldn't afford to do a fellowship. I couldn't do one more year of training. So I had to go out and get a job. And, and so I just did what I had to do and you know, the rest is history. So it can be done, but it is the road less traveled. I guess that's part of my brand, right? My brand is just doing things the hard way. Um, so I, I don't know. I was saying it's off the grid. It's just try things. You know, I think the right. best, best things in life happen when you just are willing to try stuff, um, and treat life like a grand experiment. If something fails, failure isn't final unless you're completely bankrupt or you lose your life. If you can stay away from those things, you know, just pick yourself back up and keep moving forward. I mean, that's just, that is, um, we, I think a lot of times we are in our own head about, you know, what, oh, what happens if, you know, I don't get X, Y, or Z. Well, just move forward, pivot, change your mind. You know, it's just that, I guess that's sort of a philosophy I've developed over time. Um, one, one thing I want you guys to ponder, you don't necessarily have to have an answer for this, 
But this is another thing that was in uh, Naval's podcast, the one I mentioned earlier. He talks a lot about specific knowledge. Uh, specific knowledge for him is something that is a unique skill, something you're kind of nat naturally good at, uh, something that has sort of come to you um, at various you know, points in your life where um, you, know, you just sort of have a knack for something. Um, it might be business, it might be communication, it might be fill in the blank. It's really something kind of unique to you. Um, I think for building a brand, um, it's kind of like Simon Sinek, start with why. You kind of need to know why you're doing something. But I think you also, as important or more importantly, need to figure out what you're good at and what your special skills are um, that you can offer. And Sheree, you were, you were mentioning this earlier about you know, getting your training and developing your expertise. But we're all going to learn. We all have the BCSC books. We're all going to go through the OCAPs. We're all going to do our board uh, tests, et cetera. But, we're, but every one of us are going to have something unique to offer to ophthalmology. Um, as I was sort of preparing for this and thinking about that, you know, I think one of the things that I would say is my specific knowledge is I like to create simple solutions for complex problems, uh, something that I found that if I look back over the things that I've done, um, there's always been something where I've taken a problem, sort of tried to dissect it, try to come up with an elegant, you know, simple solution. And that sort of cycle has repeated itself. For, so for me, as I continue to build my brand and, and try to, you know, give something back to ophthalmology, uh, that it's always going to probably include something along those lines. Um, do you all, Sheree, do you have anything that you've thought of where, you know, it's like, Hey, I, I kind of, this is sort of my specific knowledge. This is the area that I feel like I'm, um, you know, going to be able to give back or, or uh, consult or, or speak. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's always a work in progress. I always like asking people actually when they think of me, what comes to mind. Um, and it's really good to have people in your corner who you can just say, hey, top three things that you think of when you think of me. And a common thread that a lot of them will tell me is in a sort that I'm a, a, a storyteller. Um, it happened after my mom passed away when I was younger. It was a really difficult process for me to talk about. And so I ended up turning to writing. And um, my mom was a writer. It's kind of in my family blood. Um, and it's for me, it's a great way to honor her. And so I have a huge passion for oftentimes dissecting what's going on in my head on uh, pen and paper nowadays on the computer. Um, and so before I got to residency, I, I used to write um, for Huffington Post and uh, wrote a few pieces for Kevin MD and, and Washington Post. And it was just the opportunity to be able to dissect what was going on in, in my world, um, oftentimes patient related, um, and, and being able to share that from a trainee's perspective or a physician's perspective. And it's something that I hope I can continue to do, um, just because I think I have the, the good fortune of being able to take care of people um, who may not always see where things are coming from, from a physician's perspective. And I think especially in ophthalmology, I can't think of, of too many voices that are in sort of the lay literature um, in terms of, of a storytelling format, either sharing their patient experiences or um, you know, just sharing how they see things happening in the world. And so I hope that's something that I can continue to, to do and, and give back in. That's fantastic. What a wonderful example. Uh, David, I, you're, you know, that, that's, that's kind of a hard act to follow. Any, any thoughts on uh, areas where you feel like um, it's not really work? It's just something that comes natural to you. 
So Sherry, I have not written for the Huff Post or the Washington Post. <laughs> um, you know, I'm happy that I was able to publish in just some small journals. And, uh, you know, I think for me, I'm a DO and I'm like one of eight that matched in my year. And so I trailblazed in that and I kind of, I wrote an article about that. And I think that's where I got some of my credibility of how did this guy do it? Um, because it is very, very hard to do. Um, and so, you know, I look at that and I think, okay, well, if I could do that, what else can I do? And my wife always tells me I'm a master of no trades, but uh, a jack of many. Um, and, you know, I enjoy learning how things work and how, how to figure them out. Um, and so as I step into the private practice realm um, and I cross with industry and start working with industry more, I, I think I just really want to get involved with technology, um, use it, figure it out, what's the best way, um, you know, I can't see myself being just a world-class, um, you know, top, top leader in ophthalmology. I won't be the number one ophthalmologist and I'm okay with that. Um, you know, I, I think we're always constantly renewing and reinventing ourselves. And um, as I was thinking about this podcast, I thought, well, what are the different categories of branding yourself? Um, you know, you can be an academic, a subspecialist with, you know, ex you know excellent knowledge. Um, you can be really great with technical and surgical expertise and abilities. Um, or maybe you're just really good with interpersonal skills, social skills and speaking skills, um, and you know how to use networking. Um, maybe you're great at content, content production, um, you know, maybe you advance the field in technology, um, or maybe you're an organizer or a leader. Um, maybe, you, maybe you make a really great podcast. Um, or even a mediocre one. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's really good, I, I love it. And uh, um, maybe you're just a solo guy, and that's your brand, and you just wanna run your own little shop, and and tailored to the one individual that you see on a, every three months. And, and so I think the number one thing I learned as I um, have gone through this is that we all run our own race and we all run at our own pace and we should be very content with that. And I have to say, David, David is one of the, uh, Dave's one of the people who's really inspired me on Instagram. And one of my favorite things is to watch as he like takes apart something completely and then reassembles it. It's something I'll never be able to do. I'm always fully impressed by the end, as you can tell by the messages I send him afterwards. So it's like radios, bikes, you think of it, he's, he's tinkered and recreated it. His Mac keyboard. So desperate times, desperate measures. That's right. I'm always impressed. <laughs> I think it's also really interesting that we can always see it in someone else. It's hard sometimes to see it in ourselves as special because if it comes easy to you, um, you don't really see it as unique or anything to write home about necessarily. Like Sheree, your writing probably just comes naturally to you, even though you put a lot of effort into it, you know, but the, the way it might inspire other people, you might think, oh, that's kind of funny that, that it really hit him that way. And David, the same with you, you know, oh, tinkering, that's kind of fun. I just sort of do this for you know, because it's interesting to me, but whereas other people are like, man, I can never do that. I think that is the, the cornerstone. If you find that little nugget in yourself where you find that other people are impressed by it or sincerely appreciate it, but to you, it's kind of like, oh, I don't know. I just kind of like doing it. I think that's the bedrock and the cornerstone to build your personal brand. Um, and obviously you, you don't have to be pigeonholed. You know, Sheree, you're going to be more than a writer and David, you're going to be more than a tinkerer. Uh, but I do think it's interesting to have that nucleus where you sort of start building around that and start showing people different facets of your personality and how that can interface with your practice. So um, I think that's probably a good place to leave it. Uh, I really appreciate both of your perspectives on this. Um, I've, I've really enjoyed getting to know both of you better during, during this, this process over the past couple of months. 
and look forward to um, exploring the rest of Survive and Thrive. So thank you guys very much for coming on again tonight. Thank you, Gary. Thank you, thank you Zoe. This has been another episode of Ophthalmology Off the Grid, Survive and Thrive, and we'll see you next time. Thank you to our contributors for joining another episode of the Survive and Thrive series. And thanks to our listeners for tuning in. This has been Ophthalmology Off the Grid. Until next time. Survive and Thrive is an independent program produced by Bryn Mawr Communications and supported by advertising from Johnson & Johnson Vision.